Father, I lift today the folks in this room that have prodigals, that have wayward children, that have children or nieces or nephews that have wandered away from you. And Lord, I pray that uh, you would pluck at their heartstrings, that they would know that you are a father who loves them unconditionally, that they would, wherever they are, whatever they're doing, they would sense prayers being lifted on their behalf, and that you would allow us in this hour to lift friends, family members, children, grandchildren, relatives, associates that need your divine intervention, that they would be brought boldly before the throne of grace and that we would see many answers to these prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> if you have your Bible, I want you to take it and turn to Psalm 24. Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4. And we're going to take a break from the Check Your Heart series, which we just got started in. But we're going to take a break from it and talk about how to pray for the next generation. Uh, out in the atrium, you have a huge sign. It's been there a long time. New one's up. Whoever wants the next generation the most will get them. And this battle is won in prayer. And we uh, talk about prayer leads us to love God and to grow together and to serve others and to change the world. And so I want to talk about today how we partner with families and how this church partners with you as a family and how we serve one another, whether it's mom or dads or parents or teachers or volunteers in preschool or volunteers in children or youth ministry, because we all have influence on the next generation. It is important that we collectively think how we help the parents of this next generation to use their influence in such a way that we raise up a generation unlike any generation that has ever been seen before. A generation committed to prayer, to revival, to the church, to the evangelism of their friends, but most of all, a generation that loves God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. You see, we, we want to partner with parents to give you the best shot possible at your kids being all that God designed them to be. Anybody against that? <laughs> I mean, my, my role as a pastor, as a shepherd, is to help you as the shepherds of your home by the Word of God and by prayer to help you <clears throat> in every way that I can to do all that I can to help you build an environment for your kids that the world doesn't suck them through a keyhole and destroy their lives. And whether it's the recreation ministry, I mean, we have over a thousand kids involved in recreation during the week and on Saturdays, whether it's the recreation ministry or our age group ministries or, or our camps or Disciple Nows or Bible School or Windshape or anything else that we do. 
it really has one goal in mind, and that is to be used of God to change lives. That the lives of your kids will not be marred and scarred by the influences of this world that have one goal, and that is to pull them down and to destroy their lives. We're in a battle, and we're rolling a rock uphill, and we need to understand the battle that we're in. That we're in. Listen, children need to be trained, not just in the facts of life, but in the ways of life. Now, society's got all kind of ways of training in the facts of life, and that's even changed. You know, I, I read a tweet yesterday in light of all the changes that are going on in our culture that you can't tell a child that they're a boy or a girl. You have to let them decide, are we going to reach a point where we're not going to have a Mother's Day? I mean, you've got to ask some honest questions about where the insanity of this world is taking our children. Listen, at four, year old, four years old, all I knew is I had eaten mud and survived. I was not the brightest bulb in the pack. We have to teach our kids the ways of life. And the Bible shows us God's way that he has prepared for us. What we do, say, and how we pray is woven into the fiber and character of a child and ultimately influences how that child fits in to the fabric of society. What we do, what we say, and how we pray. Why, why do we do all the things that we do? Why do we have kids rock? Why do we have our middle schoolers and our high schoolers leading worship uh, on Sunday night with preschool and kids? Uh, why are we doing all of this? We're doing it because we want to weave something into the fabric of the character of the next generation. Proverbs 24, Proverbs 24 and verse 3 says, By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established, and by knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. So, What's the wisest thing that you can do for your kids? Good manners? Not bad. Would be good for kids to have good manners. Uh, a good education? That's a good goal. Your kids need a good education. How to manage money? Yes, please. Get out of my wallet. I have two daughters in their 30s, and I still find myself spending money. I want to suggest the greatest thing you can do for your kids is to pray for them. The greatest investment, because then you get God into the equation, you get the Holy Spirit inside of you into the equation, you get God's Son at the right hand of the Father into the equation. Now you're in a partnership. You're in a partnership of prayer for what your children would become. Out there in the atrium, it says, prayer leads us to love God, to grow together, to serve others, and to change the world. Last week, Garrett talked about being world changers and how the seniors of this year uh, needed to be world changers, the characteristics that needed to be a part of their life. I, I want to come in underneath that 
and say they have a responsibility to take on being world changers, but we have the responsibility, like Aaron and her, to hold up their arms when they're in the battle. We have the responsibility of praying them through these things. And the greatest thing we can build for a child, for a young person, is a prayer environment. It is foundational to having God's wisdom. So let's look at it. First of all, intercession is not optional. It's not optional. This verse out of Isaiah 59, 15 haunts me. Now the Lord saw, and it was displeasing in his sight, that there was no justice. And he saw that there was no man, and was astonished that there was no one to intercede. No one to intercede. No one to pray for the nation. No one to pray for the children. No one to pray for the government. No one to pray for revival. There was no one to intercede. Intercession is the key that unlocks heaven's storehouse of blessings, the wisdom, the understanding, the knowledge that they need. So how do I position myself? Because all of us have some level of prayer life, some level. But how do I position myself to be an intercessor? Because a prayer life is, is getting to first base. But a position of intercessor is going around the bases. It's going deeper and further. It's making the most out of the moments that you have in prayer. So how do I do that? First of all, you make sure your heart is clean before God. I can't pray for God to help somebody else if I'm not making sure my heart is clean before God. That's what 1 John 1 is about, which we talked about uh, two weeks ago. Prayer is a position that clears the lines of communication. If I care about a child or a young person, if I care about a family member, prayer clears the communication of intercession so there's nothing blocking me talking to the Heavenly Father. Secondly, ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. The disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. Now, just, just parents, just lift your hands on this. Have you ever, just parents, lift your hands. Now, now, keep them up if there's ever been a moment in your life with your kids that you didn't know how to pray. All right, so we're pretty much all in the same boat. I mean, it's just a moment when you didn't know what to do. You didn't know what to say. You didn't know if you were saying the right thing. That's when you say to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, you know what I need to be praying. I need you to help me verbalize it. And what I can't verbalize, would you pray on my behalf? Would you say before the Father on my behalf? Jesus is praying, the Spirit is praying. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. Third one's a big one. Pray for God's will, not your ideas or preferences. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, my dad had an idea about what he wanted me to become when I grew up. And he had told me so much that when God called me to the ministry, I was afraid to tell him because I felt like I would disappoint him. Because he had set the stage verbally so often about, I want you to do this, I want you to take over the business, I want you to 
And, and I was afraid to tell him that I wasn't going to do that. And the day I told him, he said, well, I guess this business will close. I want to tell you, you've got to be careful that you pray God's will, not your preferences. Hey, I, I, I said a long time ago, I, I would rather my children have a job that nobody thought was significant and be in the will of God than have a job that everybody thought was significant and be out of the will of God. I want my kids to be in the will of God. That's what I'm praying for. Number four, praise God that he hears, sees, and knows what's best. Now again, I don't always hear, I don't always see, and I don't always know what's best. But praise God that he hears and he sees and he knows what's best. You're not trying to get God to see things your way. You're trying to see things his way. Number five, pray according to the word. 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15. Pray according to the word. Listen, when you're praying scripture, you never have to ask, am I praying if I'm praying in God's will? If I'm praying scripture over my children... I don't have to ask. And by the way, I would tell you, the prayers of Paul for, his, for the church are incredible prayers to pray for your children in Colossians and in Philippians and in Ephesians are incredible prayers to pray. It's an incredible prayer to pray, to pray the Lord's Prayer every day and insert your child's name in it until they can learn to pray it for themselves. Number six, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Now, Bill Elliff was here for a prayer conference, and he talked to us about uh, continual, unceasing prayer. And you know that doesn't mean to drive with your eyes closed. or it, it just means that there's this prayerful attitude that is going on with you. When your kids come to mind, you pray for them. When a child comes to mind, you pray for them. God birthed that thought in your head for some reason, and you pray for them. Uh, I woke up in the middle of the night last night. You do that as you get older. Some of you have that to look forward to, but you do that as you get older. I woke up in the middle of the night last night, and the first thought that came to my mind was Aaron. And so I just voiced a prayer. I knew that she was out of town. I didn't know that she was when she was on the road or where, but I just voiced a prayer for Aaron last night. You, you pray without ceasing. Number seven, pray boldly. Pray boldly. I mean, don't approach God like you're a beggar with your hat in your hand hoping for a quarter. Pray boldly. Boldly approach the throne of grace for your kids. Pray believing. Pray believing that God loves your kids and the kids that we're called to minister to more than you do. I mean, you thought about it. I mean, as much as you love somebody... You will never love them as much as God loves them. You will never care about them as much as God cares about them. You will never want the purpose of God for their lives like God wants it. So pray, believing. Number nine, pray alert to the fact that you're in a spiritual warfare. I mean, this is a battle. Satan comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. We are in a battle for our children. Uh, God willing, this week, uh, 
we'll go to Warren Wiersbe's funeral and on a counter right next to his desk in his room where he did his prayer and his quiet time was a picture of our family. And every time I talked to Warren, he would say, I pray for you and your family every day. Every day. Pray, believing, be aware you're in spiritual warfare. Terry and I were in a conference with uh, Jim Simbla a couple of years ago, and we were burdened about a family member. And Jim said, you need to learn to travail. And to travail means to groan before God like a woman groans in childbirth. This is more than, Lord, bless my kids and keep them safe. Travailing is to groan before God, to feel pain in your heart to the point where you can't let it go because we're in a spiritual battle. Listen, the prince of hell has demons and influences that are after your children, and every child in this church. He cannot be met by light praying. Their souls are at stake. Their influence is at stake. Number 10, thank God that he hears your prayers. I mean, I'm glad I'm not talking to a God that says, well, I'll decide if I'm going to listen later on or not. See, if I began by being clean before the Lord, I can count on the fact that I can end by saying, Lord, thank you for hearing my prayers. Thank you for hearing my prayers. So investing in the next generation is essential. Now, let me tell you why it's essential. Many godly people have children that have walked away from God. There are no perfect parents. Everybody got that? This way means yes. There are no perfect parents. I don't care how good you are, there are no perfect parents. And there are no perfect children. And many godly people have had children that were wayward and away from God and prodigals. That's why we join them in prayer. That's why we keep praying. And many kids that we have in our ministry do not have godly parents. They don't have parents that come to church. When a, when I was in youth ministry, I would tell my teachers, remember to pray for the phantom parents. The guy raised his hand once and said, well, who are the phantom parents? I said, that's the parent that's been drinking and sitting out in the car smoking, and he picks up his kid from a youth event, and he parks at the far end of the parking lot because he wasn't, doesn't want to have anything to do with us, but he is begrudgingly letting his kid come to our youth group. That's the phantom parent. It's hard to know them. It's hard to meet them. So there are kids that are searching for the Lord and, and praying and longing for parents to be saved. Who's going to partner with them? What adult is going to join them in the battle to say, we're going to partner because your parents are lost or your parents are prodigal and, and you need a spiritual influence of an adult in your life? We stay in the battle. Why? Every kid's unique. I mean, your kids are different than my kids. My kids are different than anybody else's kids. 
Don't get me started. Your kids are unique. They need to be prayed for uniquely. Every birth and every dedication gives us an opportunity to go before God for another member of the next generation. Every Sunday, every Wednesday, every camp, every VBS, every Disciple Now is an opportunity for us to pray down heaven. And guess what? There are no cookie-cutter plans. I mean, we, we, we read Dobson's Dare to Discipline. We wore Haley out with Dare to Discipline. I mean, we wore her out with... <laughs> it didn't help. We told her she could not have any sweets. Any sweets. None. None. You hear me? None. Until you eat a new vegetable or a piece of meat. She loves sweets. She went three years without sweets. I wanted to choke James Dobson. I didn't want to choke my daughter. I wanted to kill the guy that sold a million bucks. What do you know about anything? There are no cookie cutter formulas. Ter Terry took Aaron on a retreat, just a mother and daughter retreat to talk about the facts of life. And they went by themselves. I had Haley, they, they went by themselves. And Terry called me and she said, Aaron thinks that James Dobson is a pervert. I mean, you could go to the bookstore, go quick, it's closing. You could go to the bookstore and buy all kind of books on parenting, but nobody can tell you better than God. He's the great father. Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I love how this can be paraphrased. Modify the will of the child, the way he is bent. And when he gets to be a teenager, that pattern will stay with him. Or adopt the training of your child so that it is in keeping with his God-given characteristics and tendencies. When he comes to maturity, he will not depart from the training he has received. That's assertive spiritual parenting. It, it's training them literally according to his way. We adopt their training. Now, just a quick illustration. Erin never met a stage that she didn't want to be on. Never. If it was in our living room, she's singing and she's dancing. So one day this week, we pulled out some old videos and she got this, what was it, dazzling doll thing? I don't know what it was, but it had all these things you bought for a girl. Terry bought it. I didn't have anything to do with it. And all she did was walk around forever going, dazzling, dazzling. I'm going, how many times could she say dazzling? <laughs> then we jumped to a video of Haley in the preschool choir at Sherwood in the old building. Everybody's doing the hand motions. Haley's doing this. She's barely, I'm here, but I hate it. 
I'm on the front row. I may be a serial killer. You don't know. But I do not want to be on display. Do you hear me? And so now for over 30 years, we get to watch a video where Haley is proving to us over and over and over again, I don't want the platform. We brought up something this week. We said, hey, <coughs> uh, maybe you and Aaron could do this. She said, I'm not doing it. I said, why? She said, it'd be in front of the church. I'm not going to stand up in front of the church. I said, Aaron could stand up. And Aaron said, I'd be glad to stand up in front of the church. <laughs> you see, this applies to those of us who serve kids and, and teach kids and disciple kids. We've got to hit them where they are to get them to where we want them to be. When the, when the Bible talks about train them up in the way, it means in the mode or the manner or the course of life. How we want them to come based on their bents and their personalities. Psalm 112 uses this same term, a way, to describe an archer bending a bow before he lets the arrow go to hit the target. Psalm 127, 3 through 5 uses the arrow as a picture of children. Now why, why paint this picture of an arrow for a child? Because you've got a target in mind that they would have wisdom and knowledge and understanding. So if you're teaching them or if you're serving them or if you're working in we care or if they're in your home and you're praying over them at night, there's a target in mind. And you want to get the bow right and you want to get your shoulder right because you don't want to miss the target. The key is the amount of tension in the bow. If you're not careful, you'll want something so bad, you'll put too much tension in the bow and the, and it'll, the arrow will fly off target. How do we pray intentionally? Well, there are 10 things here. These are not the 10 commandments, but pretty close. I would do it. Pray first of all that they will know Christ early in life. Pray that they'll know Christ early in life. I, I've never met anyone that got saved and said, I wish I had waited longer. I wish I'd spent more time in sin, more time in unforgiveness, more time in guilt. Pray that they get saved in their early life. Well, how early is too early? I don't know. That's for you as a parent. That's for us as a church to help walk them through understanding what a decision for Christ looks like. Now, that means don't pressure them to make a decision. Don't do what I did with my friend Mike Green to say, I'm going to beat you down the aisle because you said you're going to go get saved today, so I don't want you to get saved before me. Don't pressure them to make a decision because their peers made a decision. Secondly, pray that they will see sin the way God sees it. By the way, this world makes sin look really good. And it doesn't often show us the consequences of sin. Pray that they will see sin the way God sees it. Number three, pray that when they sin, they will be caught early. I got, a, I got a note from a parent of one of our seniors this week, uh, two weeks ago. 
handwritten note, and now is the time for revelation. I preached a lot of this message 18 years ago when they dedicated their baby, their first baby, who will graduate this Friday. And she wrote these 10 points in the back of her Bible. And it prompted me to say, well, maybe there's another generation that needs to hear. Listen, I was already ready with the next message and check your heart. But, you know, when somebody sends you a letter in the mail and says, it's this, and I go, duh, pray that when they send, and this is the one she pointed out, pray that when they send, they will get caught. First time they do drugs. First time they step over the line. First time, pray they get caught. Say, well, that would be embarrassing. More embarrassing that you have to go to a treatment center and deal with that for the rest of your life because you didn't deal with it early. More embarrassing that you never do the hard thing and say, Lord, I pray they get caught. They cheat on a test, you ought to pray they get caught cheating on a test. Well, they may not be valedictorian. It won't be the worst thing that ever happened to them. Pray they get caught. Because we live in a world that says, if you don't get caught, you didn't do it. And that's the wrong world. You did it whether you get caught or not. Pray they get caught. Number four, that they will be protected from evil influences. They will be protected from evil influences. Pray that God will protect them from evil influences. Listen, evil influencers are predators by nature. They feel justified if they get more people in line with them. So we must be right. I mean, we must be right. Because look at all the people that agree with us. And Hollywood doesn't help that at all. Number five, that they will have a responsible attitude in all their interpersonal relationships. That they'll be the responsible one in the room in all their interpersonal relationships. Now, I know that's hard for a five-year-old, but hey, you got to start somewhere. Pray that they will respect those in authority. That's a big one. Pray that they will respect those in authority. We are fast becoming a culture that has no respect for authority. That means church leaders, political leaders, teachers, coaches, that they will respect those in authority. Number seven, that they will desire the right kind of friendship and be protected from the wrong kind of friendships. Number eight, that they, as well as the one they marry, will be pure until marriage. Number nine, that they will grow in Christ-likeness. And number 10, that they will understand who they are in Christ. I'm, uh, I'm just going to put in a little plug right here, okay? I would suggest to you that 
you get as many people that you know with children, you get your team to go see Overcomer when it comes out on the 23rd of August because it's about identity in Christ. Where do you find your identity? Listen, I didn't have an identity in Christ even when I was saved until somebody told me and showed me what that meant. And you can take your kids to a movie and you can watch it and you can see that your identity is not in what you do, your identity is in who you are in Christ. So I would just, as a suggestion, I would suggest that's an important film for you to take your children, your grandchildren, your teenagers to. When I got through watching it a few weeks ago, uh, I said to Garrett, we have got to get every member of every team at Albany State in that, music, in that movie somehow. We just got to do it. Because we need to help people with our identity. Because if you don't know it by the time you go to college, you're in trouble. And you'll find it in the wrong things and in the wrong people. Third John, verse 4. says, I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than this, than to hear of my children walking in the truth. Would you bow your heads, please? And One day, those of us who are influencers are going to depart from this old world, and we're going to leave behind some kind of legacy. As volunteers at a church, as volunteers with a sports team, as coaches, as teachers, as carpool parents, as moms, dads, aunts, uncles, grandparents, you, you get the picture. So I just want to ask you a couple of questions in this prayer environment. We've been talking about prayer. So who is the one, the child, the young person that is in your sphere of influence in your family or at the church? Who's the one that needs to fall in love with Jesus? Who's the one that needs to love Jesus? Would you pray for them right now? They don't, they don't know Jesus. Would you just pray that that day will come, that they'll give their hearts and their lives to Christ? Secondly, who's your prodigal? Every family has a prodigal. Every family has somebody that's off the rails and off the track. Every family has somebody that's not as close to the Lord as they ought to be. You say, well, they're not in a pig pen, but if they don't get back to the Lord, they'll get to the pig pen. So who's your prodigal? And who are you going to enlist to be on your prayer team? When you see the teacher that is volunteering their time to teach your kids in Bible study or 
on Wednesday nights or on Sunday nights or that's working with our youth on Wednesday nights. Who are you going to enlist to just stop them and have a conversation to say, would you agree with me in prayer for this person? Would you just join me in a prayer covenant for this person? And then would you just ask God to convict you with an understanding that this generation left to themselves will walk away from the faith that Jesus died for and you gave your heart to. They'll walk away. They'll arise a generation like the book of Judges that does not know God. And you've invested too much, you've prayed too much, you've done too much for that to happen at this point. So get some people to stand in the gap with you. Get some people to help you and to pray with you. Get a prayer team together and bombard heaven for the next generation. Lord Jesus, for every baby that is in our we care today and those that will come for years to come, for every toddler that's walking around and falling down, for every preschooler, for every child, for every middle school and high school student, for college students, for this generation that grows up before our eyes, before we know it. We pray for divine intervention. We pray, Father, for the salvation of their souls, for the direction of their lives, for them to be faithful warriors for Jesus Christ. Lord, that out of this generation, you will raise up youth pastors and children's pastors and church servants and pastors and missionaries and lawyers and doctors and influencers who will take their influence to the next generation and that they will use their lives to make a difference. Lord, my prayer for this generation is that they would do something spiritually special with their lives. And that you would help us to come alongside and partner with moms and dads, with moms that are trying to raise their kids who are working through our Alpha Center, with single moms that are dealing with so many issues alone, Father, move in, change our culture because of the environment of prayer that is built in the culture of this church. For we pray it in the name of Jesus. And God's people said, amen.